0: you're listening to joy coaching america with the joy coach karen lynn grant spreading upbeat uplifting informative messages of hope and happiness from sea to shining sea from our home in the beautiful rocky mountains
1: welcome to joy coaching america this is karen lynn grant and i am excited to have pamela romney openshaw who is the author of Promises of the Constitution, back with me today so that we can move into part two of a beautiful interview and storytelling that Pamela's gonna do today. Pamela, I'm so excited. I know you've been preparing to share with us about four great men in our history of our country, and I would love for you to say hello and to introduce your four guests today. Good morning. It's just
2: a pleasure to be here. I have studied the Founding Fathers extensively in writing about the Constitution, and I've been fascinated with what I've learned about their lives. The individuals that came together to create the United States of America were a phenomenal group of individuals. Uh, They were very well prepared. They, um, They were operating under what I believe was divine inspiration, and many of them stated the same thing. They just had uh, read the great masters, and they knew the great need in the country, and they came together all at one time in the Pennsylvania State House in uh, the, the summer of 1787 and wrote the, dec- wrote the Constitution uh, based on the Declaration of Independence as its foundation. And so I'd like to share with you today stories about Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson The last three, of course, were our first three presidents of the United States. There's been a lot written about these individuals, but there's still so much we can talk about about their personalities and the roles that they played and such as that.
1: Oh, I'm excited. I would uh, love to hear these stories. I love storytelling and especially about our history and our ancestors and these great men that made America great. When you understand our history then you understand
2: who we are and so it's very important to understand the individuals that created the government that we live under because these men created something that had had never been seen to exist before that uh, those who were masters in politics and the law had been talking about for centuries and we brought it all together and we just have this marvelous constitution
1: as a result of that before you go into the stories I just want to mention that this book, Promises of the Constitution, and then the two additional supportive manuals and books that you have written for a homeschooling program. Mm-hmm. So if you're a mom or a grandmother out there or a dad, a grandfather, I hope that you will glean these stories that Pamela is sharing with us today. Pass them on to your children, share, and this will also be turned into a podcast so that everybody can have this compressed into all of the stories that Pamela is sharing today. And we can share those, share the link and pass it on. Thank you. The book is written in short vignettes that are a page and a half
2: long. So the material can be read and easily digested and presented in five to 10 minute increments. And people have loved that as we've uh, marketed the books and talked to people across the country. That's one of the things that they've just loved about the book is that it's short and very easy to use. Anyway, I wanted to start today by talking about Benjamin Franklin. Um, The role that he played in bringing about this uh, beautiful government that we have and the creation of the United States of America is very interesting. He was a man who got involved in things, who had the ability to organize things. Um, He was the one who created the first uh, fire insurance company. He created a, a system of security where individuals banded together in their own communities to fight against any encroachment on the community. He was the first one to develop a library and, and with subscriptions for that he ran the post office the first only time the post office mm-hmm. has been run successfully with a prophet <laughs> under Benjamin Franklin uh, he created the the Franklin stove chose to not patent it because he believed that it was a device uh, intended for all mankind. So a man in England took the information and patented it himself and made a fortune off of it. But Franklin was a very successful individual because he was a printer. And he drew young men in as, as apprentices into his printing business and then would send them as they finished their apprenticeship, he would send them out into different communities, provide the, all the printing materials, uh, the printing press and everything. They would pay him one third of their profits. And then as soon as they could pay it off, they would be independent. And so he created this marvelous aura and and expertise in business um, working in the northern part of the colonies, and so and helping other people kick off yes, their businesses. Yes, yes, and it, it was it was a sense that he had. He didn't seem to be dedicated a whole lot to making his own money because he'd already created that by the time he was in his forties and the like. He was an independent businessman, and then could, businessman, and then he could dedicate himself to um, working to founder the. The best in the country, but one of the reasons the Constitution was so successful was that Benjamin Franklin was involved because in the northern colonies he was just known as as this individual who just was always doing the right thing, and so he was very instrumental in pulling the good this, reputation yeah, into this whole concept. Um, as for his family, let me just tell you a little bit about him. He, we have no record of his marriage. Um, but in his day and age, uh, common law marriages were, were, um, uh, I wouldn't say they were common, but they were, they were done. Acceptable. Acceptably. Yeah. Um, you just had to have a couple of individuals sign that you intended to live together as man and wife. You just kind of avoided the bureaucracy in, involved in the marriage. Um, he and his wife had one child, um, and then he had fathered a child out of wedlock. One of those two died. So he had only the one child as he went forward. Um, He spent a lot of time in Europe. In fact, in the 20 years before the Constitution was written, he spent something like 17 of those years outside of the United States. So he brought a European influence into the Constitution and yet maintained his truth and his principles. And probably understood
1: what didn't work and what wasn't working well and knew what he didn't want to include.
2: Especially when other representatives uh, were able to bring their ideas in, it was able to mute some of his ideas. You know, he kind of got off on a little bit of a track, but it worked well. Um, one of the objections that's raised about Benjamin Franklin is that he wasn't a Christian. And that's a very interesting uh, concept. He was not actually a Christian, at least by his own statement. He was what's known as a deist. And a deist believes in a God that creates the world and then walks away from it to govern itself best example I can give of that is a a mother who gives birth to a child and then says to the child, okay, I've given birth to you. Now you're on your own, which Mm -hmm. doesn't work very well. Uh, But by the end of his life, he was, he was now talking about a God that was watchful and that was creative and and to whom we answered. And so he evolved, he evolved. He he moderated into that and that worked really well. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about his personality. He he was a very jovial individual, and people loved him. Um, he decided that he wanted to achieve moral perfection, and so in his younger years he formulated a list of 12 characteristics that he wanted to to, in, to bring about this moral perfection in his life and then a quaker friend pointed out to him that he was sometimes regarded as being a bit arrogant so he added a 13th characteristic which was humility <laughs> and he set up this program that he would take one of these characteristics each week and focus on that but still paying attention to all the rest And he would go through this process you see over four times in a year's period of time and he felt like he could eventually achieve moral perfection he discovered that wasn't possible um but he he came he developed some very interesting personal ideas about the humility he said that he had noticed that when you take this arbitrary i know it all attitude with people it turned them off and so you were unsuccessful in being able to convince people that what you were doing was valid because you came on so hard. Mm -hmm. So he learned to say, well, it's been my opinion or according to the things that I've learned in such ways as that, just kind of softly easing his position. He he changed
1: his delivery. Yes.
2: And so he adopted that, then you see, for the rest of his life. And it was one of the things that made him a wonderful um, diplomat for the United States. He went to Great Britain and acted as a diplomat for the colonies. And then he went to... France and acted as a diplomat for the states after they had formed, uh, or were beginning to form themselves into a nation. Anyway, um, but in terms of his personality, he was—he uh, liked to joke. He people loved him when he got to France. All of the young women loved him. Um, France just accepted Benjamin Franklin. They had mugs with his and, and plates and dishes and pots with his image on them. They oh, had no. scarves with, that were painted with Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> it was just a thing to do in Paris, you know, that everybody loved him. Um, he used to write in his memoirs or in his journal that he had many mistresses in um in France, and it, by our modern terminology, that that refers a sexual connotation, but it didn't in that day. It was just simply a way of describing a young woman. He had a lot of young women friends. He used to go riding with them. He used to take their husbands along with him, and so he's misinterpreted a lot by our modern authors. Misunderstood. And yeah, that's that's kind of a problem. Um, but anyway, that that's just um, a very interesting aspect as far as what he contributed to the Constitution itself, he was a stabilizing force. He was the oldest individual at the Constitutional Convention. He was 81 years old. He actually died three years after the writing of the Constitution, but during the interim between the finishing of the Constitution and his death, he was uh, served as the governor in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania was his home. Uh, But he was just kind of the stabilizing force he brought. And he was the one in the middle of the Constitutional Convention as people began arguing, because there was a lot of there were a lot of differing opinions going on here. And and they had to resolve things. They had to work on concepts until they could put something down on paper so they could vote on something so they could all agree on it. And as the contention intensified, it was Benjamin Franklin who stepped forward and said... Uh, that it has been, it been his experience that God would be in, involved in this process.
0: From sea to shining sea and beyond. You're listening to Joy Coaching America Worldwide with show host and Joy Coach, Karen Lynn Grant.
1: This is Karen Lynn Grant with Joy Coaching America. So excited to have our beautiful historian. She is a historian of our American history and the wonderful founding fathers that she's going to be speaking about. We're now going to be interviewing Pamela Romney Openshaw in this part two of her series with me on George Washington. And she said, there's so much to share. So we are going to pack it in about George Washington. If I were to...
2: Um start identifying my favorite founding fathers, I would end up very quickly at George Washington. My husband teases me about it. He says, some days I think you love George Washington more than you love me. (laughs) I go, no, 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 honey, you don't understand. But as I have studied many sources on this individual, I just have come to love the man. He was a good man. Um, His role in uh, creating the Constitution of the United States and creating our government was just profound. Um, Of course, he was the revolutionary general and we would not have won the Revolutionary War if it hadn't been for George Washington. He had the ability. So so here he was facing the greatest nation on earth with a massive navy when we didn't have one, with uh, tens of thousands of soldiers when we were always struggling to have enough soldiers to to fight a battle. He knew that he couldn't go head on against the British because that simply wouldn't work. So he learned how to hit and run, hit and run. And and he knew how to get them at the time when they were most vulnerable and then walk away from them. So he, he didn't really get involved in major battles with them most of the time because he didn't have the forces to be able to do that with. He was also instrumental in bringing about the uh, Constitutional Convention. He was, He saw the disunity in the Articles of Confederation which was our uh, first form of government for the United States of America. He, he was instrumental in bringing together the delegates to meet at the constitutional convention and he presided in that situation and then was elected unanimously to be our first president of the United States. And that was really challenging responsibility because the constitution itself is actually a set of principles. It is not actual laws. It's a statement of what you want the laws to accomplish. And so they had to come together in the first legislative sessions under the first president to begin to establish what this government was all about. And so he had a very formative role in deciding what a president was supposed to do, what he was supposed to be called, how he was supposed to act in specific situations, how you dealt with legislation as it came up. And so George Washington really created all of that. Hmm. He he was... Um, he was by, by uh, his occupation. He was a gentleman farmer. He was one of the wealthiest men in the entirety of the 13 colonies. Uh, he had married um, Martha Custis, a young widow who had had four children, two of which were, had died. Um, he never fathered any children of his own, but he raised these children. I did not know any yeah. of this
1: no, that she had,
2: had the no four children. children. Oh, wow. Um, And of the two children, one of them died in her early teenage years, and so he was left with just the one child. Um, He was, by personality, he was a very um, authoritarian individual. He was very reserved people would see him and they would automatically, even if they didn't know who George Washington was, they would automatically know that this was a person who had great authority because of the way he carried his body and conducted his uh, mannerisms and the way he spoke. He was not a man that you joked around with. You did not mm. do that, <laughs> George Washington. You were uh, People were always at their very best when they were around him. He was the ideal individual to be president of the United States the first time around.
1: Just total regality. He just was. regal and and um, poised. And I just get this picture of him in my mind as yes. you talk about him. How did he and Benjamin Franklin get along with Benjamin Franklin being so <laughs> jovial?
2: Well, I don't think they were ever best friends, and I don't think they associated with each other a terribly <laughs> lot. All of them in the Constitutional Convention got to know each other some, but we don't have any real records of what happened between George Washington and Benjamin <laughs> Franklin. But um, so, in one of the things that I have found to be very interesting as I've studied the Founding Fathers is what they did about religion. George Washington was a very religious man, not so much not overtly in terms of any one specific religion, but he referred over two hundred times in his writings to God, but he but he did not necessarily call him by the name of God. He called him providence. That was a very common term at the time. He turned to God over and over again. He insisted that his men not swear. That was one of his basic principles. Um, and he, um, at, by instructions, asked that all of his soldiers attend meetings on Sunday. He tried very hard to uh, to create an, a moral atmosphere, an ethical atmosphere involved in, in uh, the war effort. But he would often be in despair. He would say, why are my soldiers not better? Why are they not doing the things they need to do? And there were several times when he said, I don't know why I undertook this, my language, not his, mm-hmm. uh, because it was a, a real challenge for him. Uh, he was also very instrumental in writing the Constitution of the United States because he was originally not going to attend the, con- the convention. And others said to him, if you don't come, we don't think anybody else will come either. And so he did agree to do that. And it was a huge sacrifice for him to be the president of the United States. He wanted to stay at Mount Vernon. He said, I've given all of this time and effort. I want to stay at Mount Vernon. But he agreed to serve one time. And then as that one experience being the president was closing, others pleaded with him to continue as the president. So he did. Uh, and then he died two and a half years after he completed his service as president of the United States. He actually, um, in the middle of December of 1799, went out horseback riding and caught a cold that developed uh, into a very serious cold and went into his lungs, and he died Hmm. then. Um, But he was, he He gave the credibility. Uh, He he just gave the credibility to the Constitution itself. It was another situation like Benjamin Franklin. If you're going to do this amazing thing by creating this government, you needed to have Benjamin Franklin and you needed to have George Washington. And the
1: two strengths of both men powerfully joined together created something great. Yeah. I get such a picture of George Washington as you talk about him. I feel like I know him and love him. You have such a beautiful way of bringing their personalities to life. And I think when we we took history classes in, in elementary school and in high school and college, it was just names and dates. We didn't oh, get I to know. hear these beautiful. You did get to hear the personnel
2: yes. of these individuals. Yes. Let me just tell you a little bit about what George Washington looked like. He was six foot, uh, about six foot one and a half, which was very tall for his age. And as I mentioned, he had a very regal bearing about him. He had had smallpox when he was a young man and had some faint po- uh, pock marks on mm-hmm. his face. Um, his hair had a kind of a reddish tint to it. But he was just known uh, to be a very gallant individual. He was actually one of the officers involved in the French and Indian War, which took place prior to the Revolutionary War. And of course, he fought on the British side. uh, But he was actually instrumental in getting that entire war started because he was placed um, in charge of a contingent of soldiers marching through... Um, the forest. And he came upon a group of Frenchmen and he attacked them under the impression that he was supposed to be doing that. And killed one of their representatives that was uh, an emissary from the French government. And that's what actually started
1: that war. (laughs) Oh, that is just, it's just amazing to hear these things. And I am so excited as you share and for everybody else to hear these beautiful details of personality. I love the word gallant that you used, yeah. because that is, as you paint this picture, that is what I see. And so I'm so grateful. Share something else about him. We have a few, a, few, a minute left.
2: Well, um, he married Martha Custis, as I said, who was a young widow prior to that point in time, though, he, he, he was kind of an insecure when he was a young man, he, he didn't quite know exactly what it was that he was supposed to do. And so the, the Fairfax family that lived relatively close to Mount Vernon um, shared with him and helped to teach him. And so he kind of fit into their family um, as it, it was it was kind of a leadership situation that they helped him mature into what he became.
1: And so was was she part of that family, the Fairfax family? Uh, no, Martha Custis was not. He
2: actually, there were stories that he he found a close relationship with the wife of one of his best friends. There was nothing romantic involved in that relationship at all, but she was very instrumental in his life. And then A Martha, kindred spirit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much. And then Martha came into his life later and, and she had vast land holdings. And that's one of the reasons he became so wealthy. He had vast amounts of land that he owned.
1: We have so much more to learn about George Washington, and we are going to be coming right back after this break with the third guest, with Pamela Romney, Openshaw, sharing just beautiful excerpts of these men's lives.
2: Welcome to the Loving Liberty Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to Joy Coaching America, raising the world's vibration to love, joy and peace. One happy listener at a time.
1: I'm so happy to be with you, Pamela Openshaw, and with our listeners today. You've just shared beautiful ex- excerpts of George Washington's life, and it brought back a memory to me of watching a beautiful documentary on George Washington where I learned about him dying in Mount Vernon two and a half years after he finished that second presidency and, I, and how he didn't want to do that second presidency, which you mentioned. And I got up from that documentary and I thought, Why are we all just sitting around? We all have a responsibility to do something, even if it's out of our comfort zones and to do something to better our country and to stand up and protect these beautiful liberties that we have that were so generously created for us. Now we're going to be, oh, you have got a presentation that you're going to share with us about where we can go to your website to learn more about George Washington as a general.
2: Yes, I I, uh, gave a presentation at the Sons of the American Revolution a couple of years ago on George Washington as a general. And it it was just a fascinating experience to be able to study him in detail. So that presentation is given in its video format on my website, which is promisesoftheconstitution.com. The name of my book is Promises of the Constitution. And so under that Name I I have a website and I believe you can go to that site and click on that and see that presentation. It's just it's just fascinating. George Washington as a general was just it was fascinating. What do generals do? What are the responsibilities of a general? Fascinating to go into that.
1: Well, we would love to have you come back and share that presentation with us, even on our radio show, because I think that there's nothing more inspirational then watching the lives of somebody else who's done something wonderful with theirs. And when you talked about Benjamin Franklin and how he used to be very strong and forthright, but then learned to be more invitational, that people began to want to follow him when he approached them in a more humble way. It's all in our delivery style. And I think that if we can inspire each other and everyone who's listening and our neighbors and our family members to want to do something even if it's out of our comfort zone, what's the difference between an ordinary man and an extraordinary man? The extraordinary man got up and did something that what sure. he believed.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: So share with us our next guest.
2: Well, so let's talk about John Adams, who was the second president of the United States. He was an attorney in Boston, um, and he was just a, a, a normal, ordinary, average citizen of Boston until he was elected to be on some of their governing councils. But then when the Boston Massacre occurred in 1770 and uh, five Americans ultimately were killed from this attack uh, when the British fired on the crowds, no one would defend the British in going into court. And so John Adams agreed to do that even though he knew that it would make him very popular unpopular and it did make him unpopular he lost about half of his business that way but it passed him into the forefront and so he became involved in in the councils that were being held there in the colonies and the like and he was bringing forth original ideas he was one of the first individuals to talk about independence of the colonies that started in 1774 working with his cousin Samuel Adams which we would I would love to talk about in a future yes we uh, will. presentation with you because he was so instrumental um, and they they began to bring about the whole idea of the constitution of the United States um, Franklin or excuse me John Adams was married to Abigail Adams who was his dear friend And even though women did not get involved in politics at the time, she had strong political ideas and the two of them compared their ideas with each other and they became a unit working together. And their relationship and the letters that they wrote to each other over the years uh, have just become like the annuals of romance and how romance can be conducted in a marriage even when the two of you are not together because Adam served as a diplomat to Great Britain, and then for a short period of time to France. And so he was gone from his wife quite a bit. They had four children, a girl and three boys. Um, Their son, John Quincy Adams, went on to become the sixth president of the United States. One of their sons died of alcoholism. A second son uh, did not do very well in life and was not successful and died at a relatively young age as well. And you have a a tendency to ask yourself if Adams had been present more, would it have made a difference? And certainly we don't know the answer to that. But he made the sacrifice to give to his country and his wife supported him in everything that he did with that. And so he was very much the voice of freedom and put forward a, a great many of those ideas. He was a religious man. He and Abigail, both of them, were very religious. And so when Adams came into the White House as the president following uh, George Washington, he brought a whole new spirit into the White House. And of course, the country was just adjusting to this. And and he and Abigail were very, um, how should I say this, moral and ethical in the way they conducted themselves with people, but they didn't believe in doing a lot of entertaining. And they were much more rigid in their way of going mm-hmm. about things. And so they did not engender the feeling of love that had preceded them and that followed them with Thomas Jefferson. Um, it was kind of a dry period in terms of social interaction. Mm-hmm. Adams's personality was, he, he was kind of an acerbic individual. He, he had was the opposite of what Benjamin Franklin had learned about how you present yourself to people in such a way that you don't turn them off. He was very dogmatic and dictatorial in his ideas. He was a good man. He had a lot of good ideas. But he kept George Washington's, most of George Washington's cabinet. And and the members of the cabinet didn't like him very well. And so they were kind of undercutting him behind the scenes. and And so his presidency really did not go very well. Something else that's very, very interesting about John Adams is that he, um, two political parties developed in the United States before, in the middle of of, uh, George Washington's second term as president, we developed these two political parties and uh, we have a tendency to say, oh, we wish we could avoid political parties. Well, that doesn't really work. There are always more than one point of view Mm -hmm. involved in any topic. And so John Adams favored very strongly the British. And he was known to say that he believed the best system of government on the earth was the British system of government. And he loved the, the concept of a monarchy. And so he tried to pull that into the United States of America. Well, that was the opposite of what the other political party was doing, because they believed in this, this Republican concept where the people speak. And so... Adams alienated a lot of people because of that. Um, And so the political party formed around him and around Alexander Hamilton. But because of this acerbic nature that John Adams had, he kind of turned the people off a little bit. And so his own party, known as the Federalist Party, kind of walked away from him. Mm -hmm. And so as the Federalists worked to strengthen the federal government... We're going to hear next about Thomas Jefferson and how he worked to bring the voice of the people in. So we've got this conflict going on, and um, when it was time when Adams was running for his second term, um, where he was defeated by Thomas Jefferson, um, he there was a lot of contention going on in that mm-hmm. political contest. It reminds me very much of what's happening today, very much. Uh, they had troops in in the city. They had uh, they had uh, fences put up to keep people where they were supposed to be. They had uh, the public buildings being burned. They had lies being formulated uh, in the press. Uh, they were attacking each other a great deal. The country was really working to try and figure out how you bring about a system of government and. the individuals involved in these two parties, the Federalist Party that was working for a strong federal government and leaning in the direction of monarchy, and then the Republicans who were working more to bring about the voice of the people and a much slower and steadier form of government, the individuals involved in both of these were good individuals who were doing the things that they felt were right. Each of them felt that the other side was going to destroy the nation. Reminded me so much of what we're
1: hearing in it's the media so, today. It's so, so fascinating much. as I listen and realize the checks and the balances of the people uh-huh. with yeah. the voices of the people doing that tug of war to try to get it, get the rope where yeah. it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just I love hearing this. I love this story about. What I would love to know is about Hamilton and how, because I remember being in history classes and not understanding that went right over my head with Jefferson and Hamilton. And sometime we'll have to talk about that. Yes. But we have a new guest that you're going to be talking about in just a minute after we come back from this break. Give them your website really quickly before we sign off.
2: Promisesoftheconstitution.com.
1: I would love to have you visit there. Thank you so much. This interview is with Pamela Romney Openshaw on Joy Coaching America. Thank you for listening, and we will be right back after this station break.
0: Joy Coaching America, raising the world's vibration to love, joy, and peace, one happy listener at a time.
1: We are Joy Coaching America with Pamela Openshaw, Pamela Romney Openshaw, and we're just talking about Pamela's beautiful ability to paint vivid pictures in my mind, as I'm listening, as she describes the personality and character traits and the and the beliefs and values of the beautiful men that we have been discussing today. Right now, we're going to talk about Thomas Jefferson. And I was just sharing with Pamela that uh, many years ago, I was a next door neighbor to Cleon Skousen, mm-hmm. and I was able to go to his Freedom Institute and listen to him as he told stories. And I remember one day listening as he shared about George Washington stepping outside for a breath of fresh air. And I, I thought, Oh, how wonderful to think of George Washington taking a breath of fresh air. He's a real person. He's not just a date. He's not just a figure in history. He's a real man. And we are so excited to, to listen to Pamela as she tells stories because your ability very much like his beautiful ability to bring these men to life, and to paint these pictures so that they can live on in our minds and we can teach our children and our grandchildren all about their forefathers.
2: Well, so then it's really interesting to talk about Thomas Jefferson, because if there was a personality, we can re- we can really talk about him. Uh, he was a Southerner, had been well-to-do his entire life. Um, he but he was a very casual man. He, he liked to be understated, couldn't stand stress. He didn't, he couldn't stand conflict. Um, he, he would structure his life such that he would, would walk away from situations where there was stress. He liked to dress in clothing that made him look like he was a farmer in the area. And mm-hmm. of course he was, that was the thing he loved. He loved, he, his, uh, home was Monticello, which means in Italian, um, little mountain. And, um, and this is what he loved: was growing plants and studying them and learning about all of these things. And so he would dress in the clothing that individuals would wear if they were these farmers, and then he would wear his bedroom slippers. And so here he is in the <laughs> White House, and and he's wandering around in the in his, where he doesn't look like he's the president of the United States at all. And he loved to conduct dinners. Um, he 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 loved to bring people together. And his wife had died. They were they were married for only ten years. And his wife had died, and so he was really all alone in the White House. And so he used to hold these dinners where he would bring eight to ten people together at one time. He never brought members of opposing parties together in the same Uh, experience because he didn't want to deal with the conflict that might emerge from that. But in some of those dinners, he would go down to the dinner dressed in this clothing that looked like he'd just come in from out of the fields and actually wear his bedroom slippers (laughs) when he would go into these. In fact, it created a diplomatic incident with a, a new minister coming from Great Britain who was so insulted by the way Thomas Jefferson dressed. And he when he would sit in a chair, he would kind of recline back and he'd cross his legs and he'd stick the one foot up with the bedroom slippers on and he'd kind of his
1: Just a very casual <laughs> He was man.
2: he was tall. He had red hair and freckles. Um he loved horses, loved loved to be involved in the outdoors. Was always looking at
1: trees and such things. As that. So he, different than John Adams. Oh, because just, they were being social,
2: and here he was having different. dinner parties. Yeah, he really was. Uh, he married a young widow named Martha Wales Skelton, um, and um, they went on to have six children. Um, great tragedy there of the six children. Uh, one died shortly after birth. Their only son died 17 days later. Another child died when she was just a couple of years old. Um, when And then his wife died after 10 years. And he, he adored her. They had a beautiful marriage. And he was absolutely destitute. They had three surviving children at the time, three daughters. And then the youngest daughter died when she was about five of whooping cough. So he ended up raising only the two daughters. His wife, according to tradition from the slaves who surrounded the bed at the time, uh, Martha, who was known as Patty. They never called her Martha. They called her Patty. At the time Patty was dying, she asked Jefferson to not marry again. A lot of people misunderstand what was behind that, but she had had, her own mother had died when she was very young, and she'd had two stepmothers, both of whom died, but it was not a successful experience for her, and she said, I don't want my children being raised by stepmothers, and that was why she asked him to not marry again. Mm. Anyway, um, what it, Jefferson was kind of the voice that he he spoke out a great deal. He got involved in politics when he was like 18 or 19 years old by watching Patrick Henry give one of his famous speeches, "Give me liberty or give me death," kind of thing. Um, and so he was very involved in this, but he was not a professional speaker. And so I- even in his like his uh, inaugural address and when he would give his remarks to Congress, his State of the Union address. Hardly anybody could hear him because his voice was just so soft and he just wasn't secure in that. But where his skill was in writing. And that is mm-hmm. why we refer to John Adams and Thomas Jefferson as being Adams being the voice freedom and Jefferson being the, the ability to write the voice and the writing of freedom. Um, so. Uh, Jefferson and Adams, neither one of them were involved in the writing of the Constitution because Adams was in uh, Great Britain acting as an emissary of the colonies, which later became the United States. And Jefferson was in France acting in that same capacity. But they had great impact on what happened with the Constitution because of their writings and the materials they sent back to each other. Jefferson worked a lot through James Madison, sent him trunks of books so that he would have the materials. That he needed in order to be able to write. Um, in terms of religion, it's very interesting when we talk about religion with Thomas Jefferson because he was accused of being an atheist. In fact, this was one of the political tools that u- was used against him by his adversaries when he was uh, camp- or when excuse me when his party was campaigning for him to become the president of the United States. He was not an atheist. He believed very firmly in God he believed that Jesus Christ was the greatest teacher ever known he did not believe that Jesus Christ however was the son of god he had a religion that he described as being his own religion he had seen conflict in religions many of us are not aware of the conflict that had existed in europe between the protestants and the catholics that had been that had been going on for for centuries And Jefferson had seen that, and so he kind of wanted to walk away from organized religion. Because he didn't like conflict. He didn't like the conflict. He wanted to be able to bring it all into one whole, and so he created the religion that worked for him. But he believed very much in God, and it was a misnomer. It was a misinformation of the highest kind to call him an atheist, because he was not an atheist um, let's see what else.
1: Thank you for clarifying that because I have heard that. I'm sure many of us have heard that, that, that he was an atheist. And I think that it's beautiful for you to be able to speak that truth in his behalf.
2: He actually went through the Bible and he cut out the words of Jesus Christ and he put them all together in his own little book that was called the Jefferson Bible. He loved Jesus Christ. He believed that his teaching was profound. He just did not see the concept of God. Uh, mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ being a God. Um, so anyway, so it, it, it's it, Jefferson and John Adams both died on the same day. And interestingly mm. enough, the it same was, year, uh, same the, day, the same, exact year? same day. They both died on the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, which mm. is so fascinating because you see, one was the voice and one was the pen. Of the Declaration of Independence, they were missionary companions. (laughs) I had not thought of it that way, but that's a very good way to look at it. And so, the two had become estranged during the immense conflict of the of the election of eighteen hundred, when John Adams was the Federalist, working for a monarchy type of government, and. And Jefferson was so adamantly in favor of the voice of the people. But in the last 10, 12 years of their lives, a good friend brought them back together. And we had this beautiful 120, 30-something letters between these two men where they put their relationship back together, avoiding the topics that that created conflict, but but working to bring themselves back together. And when Adams's wife died, um, the two of them shared their belief that they would see their mates in the next life. And it was just beautiful. They both died on the 4th of July of 1826.
1: That is amazing, remarkable. And I love that. My father, who was such a patriot, when he died on the 24th of July, I woke up and there were all these American flags over everybody's lawns. And we've talked about our fathers in our previous series, but that's no accident. That's beautiful. And what a tribute to them, We are excited to have you, Pam, here with us, teaching us and kind of undoing some things that we've been taught that were maybe misnomers, learning about these men, their personalities, and the beautiful work that they did in creating the Constitution of the United States. We are excited for everyone to go to your website, get promises of the Constitution. And if you're a mother or you're a grandmother or you're a father or grandfather, there are two more books, and if you could just wind up this program by sharing about your educational materials that you have created, we've got just a minute left, and we would love to hear and have people go there.
2: Well, Promises of the Constitution was written with the intent that people who didn't have a lot of time could still learn the principles of the Constitution, but in small doses, And we have found this to be a very popular concept. But after we had the book written, uh, my assistant editor with the book said, why don't we turn this into a home study course for not just children, but for we have a lot of senior citizens that want to use the program because we incorporate biblical scriptures in that. We ask three questions about each one of these short vignettes in the book. And individuals can begin to see how the Founding Fathers used the Bible because, oh, so sweetly they used the Bible in what they wrote. So please go to PromisesOfTheConstitution.com and look for our materials. We would love to provide them to you if you are interested.
1: Thank you, Pamela. And also, I want to reiterate that she's got her beautiful presentation on George Washington as the general. You can go there to see that. And We're also gonna be having her back to do that presentation with us on our radio show. As well, uh, I'm excited because I've invited Pam to my home to come and speak to my friends. If you have a group of friends and you would like to introduce them to these beautiful concepts and promises of the Constitution, please feel free to reach out to Pamela and go through her website to do that. We are so grateful to be Joy Coaching America today with Pamela Romney Openshaw. This is Carolyn Grant and we will be back with you next week. Thank you. Have a beautiful day.